Hello there. This is Marco, the co-host of the podcast that you're about to listen to. And um, this needs to be mentioned. Um, The first 15 minutes of the podcast are a little shaky at best. Uh, We talk about 1984 and utopia and dystopia as it pertains to novels and narratives. We stay on the topic of narratives and how they they describe the human condition as well as human behavior in general. And um, the podcast really, we get its footing this episode, like between the 10 and 15 minute marker. Uh, it gets really good, great conversation. And uh, with that, I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Andrew. Marco. And... Uh... This is episode two, um, where we talk about anything that crosses our minds. We do have a few topics that we're going to get to, but before that, uh, we will take a second to mention our ce- our scenery and environment. Yeah. Um, last time, it was just in my backyard. Uh, we were filming this just in my backyard, but now we're at the treehouse. Um which is a little bit, which is, I guess, still in my backyard, but it's, it's quite a ways back. Yeah, it was quite a walk. Yeah, it's about, I don't know, five-minute walk from got my some backyard. birds on us. Yeah, there's some birds that got on our pants, but um, it's it's definitely nice being back here. Oh, yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, we do have a list of topics. We do. We have, well, first of all, I want to ask you, how was the ending of 1984? Yeah, so I think since the last time we did this podcast, I did finish 1984. Yeah. And it was it was a the book had a great message and it really made you think about um about how life could exist um outside of uh what's what's already happening. I mean, it it was a novel, right? It's a novel, but it's it's kind of a dystopian novel. Everyone, you know, most people know this. Um, but was it like a was it was it a you know very eloquently written you know novel? Not 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 exactly. I don't think so. Um, but the message is 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 really good. And I think I I knew of what it was about getting into it, and I knew how it was about like uh, governmental totalitarianism mm-hmm. and all that, but. I didn't know to, to the degree as that it would go into detail with that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's compared to a lot of governments in reality, like the Russian government, Mao's China, the U.S. Even people are comparing 1984 to uh, the politics of today. Oh, I I can definitely see that. Yeah. I, I definitely see that, especially with. The first thing that everybody thinks of is information and how our data is being is collected. Um, I mean, pretty much everybody's data is being collected, you know, at, even if you're, you know, you're careful about it. You're still, if you have a cell phone, anything like that, it's, your data is being collected. And so, and it's such on a large scale that it sees most of our lives and, uh, of course, it's not being used for anything like uh, super negative. Just mostly for advertising and everything, right? By well, corporations. I mean, if you've studied what Snowden did. Oh yeah, wait, wait. I was just thinking that. Yeah. 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 The government spying on people using data collected by corporations and everything, mm-hmm. and having no right to collect any of that data. Yeah. Um, and you've read Fahrenheit, haven't you? I have. Do you remember? Do you remember every time Fahrenheit four fifty one? Yes. By Fahrenheit. Ray by Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great, great book. Flew right through it. Um, do you remember? Do you remember when he every time he was on the subway, and they would talk about that there was commercials, and then everyone on the subway would sing along to it, like yeah. fucking drones. Yeah. I mean, it's not like that here, but it's it's still pretty bad. Yeah, there's there's a lot of parallels that you can that you can find between 
Fahrenheit and uh, 1984. Um, most notably, most most notably the totalitarian aspect. Right? Yeah. But um, with slogans and how the people, how everyday citizens act, mm-hmm. is what really shocks most people. Yeah. There's no thought police, or I mean, like in a way there is, like in the United States where. You know, we have free speech here, but when you say something that is controversial, you're shut down in what's called um, call-out culture, especially... Can- cancel culture, too. Yeah. 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 Safe spaces, these kinds of things. Professors and speakers at Ivy League universities, such as, like, Harvard, are, um, you know, they get, they get called out, and sometimes people protest and don't let the students in. And, you know, violence can break out. It's happened before. can't think of any specific instances, but it has happened. It's happened at, uh, there's been, like, well, yeah, yeah, like you were saying, at, at certain speeches. I mean, we, we've seen those videos of, of, uh, protests and violence and, and Yeah, kind like of people, people almost, fucking hate Ben yeah. Shapiro. Yeah, I was going to mention Ben Shapiro. Even yeah. though, you know... Obviously, I'm sure you and I can disagree about, you know, and agree about things that he does. But yeah, for sure, he's man. still somebody who's there to talk to an audience that wants to listen to him. You know. Yeah. And and you can't just, you can't just be like, no, you can't, you can't be here, you can't talk here, you can't. It's like just people need platforms, and, and especially people need people who pay and, and who want to see somebody who go to some place to see somebody. It's, it shouldn't be up to. You know, just some people who feel offended that that can't happen. Yeah. And right, I think a lot of people realize this. Yeah, a lot of people do, but, I mean, I don't know if we're, we're speaking out against that. Because you can't, you can't just give up and, and, you know, shut out, like, danger. Because you need danger. It's character building. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right, I mean... When, uh, when speaking of, um, uh, you know, freedom of speech and everything like that, and, and the idea of cancel culture, with cancel culture, like, it's, it's just like a kind of a, it's a small, I mean, we see it on Twitter, right? But it's a small minority. Speaking of Twitter, sorry to interrupt you, we do have a Twitter now. You can find us on Twitter at Marco Andrew Casts. Capital M, capital A, capital C, and we are not going to be shutting anybody out or doing any cancel culture. We're just going to be very welcoming. Yeah, and, and I, to add on that, I don't believe we'll be voicing any strong opinions uh, in, in on Twitter at all because, well, given what 250 characters, it's not very, uh, not very. Uh, it's not very good medium mm-hmm. to to express thoughts like that. So we'll just do it on here, way. you know. Exactly. Yeah. And last, you some. I forget what night it was, but I was doing some writing in this notebook. And since we're talking about dystopia, we might as well talk about utopia. And I titled this note the the dangers of utopia. So, like a good example of that danger is like from an individual perspective, is I've been watching the anime One Punch Man, and One Punch Man, like, he challenged himself so much, like, he would work out, do 100 push-ups a day, go 10-kilometer runs every single day, he wouldn't break at all, and, like, he would do that until he'd feel his bones cracking, like, in horrible pain, and eventually, after three years, he became the strongest superhero on the face of the earth and you know hence the name one punch man all it takes is to punch one time and he defeats his enemies so every time he kills an enemy he curses at himself and like saying like oh i did it again like he has no fucking challenge at all and it's even been said in star trek that man needs a challenge to find meaning like to be happy 
and and Viktor Frankl, as you've told me, right? You like even in the face of death and horrific, catastrophic scenery in Auschwitz was Auschwitz, right? Yeah, he, he was able to find meaning and yeah, and that came through not only the challenge of surviving, but also finding responsibility. And responsibility is something that scares people because. Uh, you know, it's not something that you expect with freedom. But in any situation, we can find at least some ounce of freedom and thus some ounce of responsibility. Um, but to get what, what, to build off what you were saying about utopia and how you believe challenge is what, what breeds, breeds a good, what breeds a strong society. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, we, we've talked about the quote. Uh, goes something along the lines of, uh, you know, hard times it's breed strong one. men. Strong men breed good times. Well, or make good times. Good times breed weak men. Weak men breed hard times. Yeah. And the cycle kind of repeats itself. We're going to need to explain that because even I didn't understand that. Yeah. You told me. So... And, and that would that builds off the idea of utopia. If utopia is, is an easy life, you're not gonna have any challenge. Yeah. You will become weak. Okay? Imagine, imagine if we were still in Eden. Um, if you know we were still there, in in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, no challenge. Eden. Just making you know sacrifices to God, and then in, re- in return he keeps the place looking nice and keeps the, the trees bearing fruit. There's no challenge there at all. It's just the same thing. Nothing changes, and and that 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 goes against fundamental, you know, processes in the universe because nothing is permanent. We need a challenge. Yeah, we, I'm sorry. You can't just sit around all day and watch television. Yeah, no. I mean, to begin to become anything, you need a challenge, and and letting. You know, challenges pass by. I mean, you have to pick and choose your challenges, but sometimes they just happen, and there's nothing you can do about them. And you have to, you have no choice but to accept them and overcome them, despite anything else. And everybody has their own challenges, and different groups of people especially have their own challenges. And and throughout history, um, you know, certain countries most notably have been held back through challenge and then persevered to live in euphoric times. Yeah. And that those times often are the hard times are often forgotten by generation and generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it is said that it is said that you know, every generation, every passing generation says, you know, oh, when I, you know, in my de- in my time, things were much more difficult than they are now. And I mean, to some degree, that is kind of true because, I mean, we've, we've... Yeah, imagine going to the store every day to buy stuff. You have to go look at which aisles things are in. I mean, it's different It's different then because, you know, you, you know the store that you go to and you, like, you know which aisles to get things in. But, like, buying stuff on Amazon has, has spoiled us. It really has. I don't mean to deviate from what we're talking about, but... No, I, I. This is all kind of in the general sense that the the general idea of you know challenge is what is what makes us strong and and I you know I get what you're saying you mm-hmm. know and the, the more easy and accessible things are often the more not all, also the more wasted they become but the more unhealthy they become for us. Um, yeah, there are pros to cons to everything. Nothing is black and white. It's all gray. It's all a gray scale of exactly. good and bad. With and the internet, or go ahead. Well, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Just real quick, the you know, everything you know, all those those things that make us weaker are you know somehow negative are are negative for us. But they also make things that are more important to us easier, right? Like. A higher-paying job is farther away, but you have a car, mm-hmm. and you're able to get there, and you're able to make more money, or you know, just things like that. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of things like that. They make life easier, but they also make life more enjoyable, better. And you can pick your own challenges. I do. That. There's, 
like what I was saying with the internet is it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're doing this from the internet, but like just seeing ads on TV, like there was this one about like casinos. It was like first we had MGM Grand. Now we have then we had Atlantic City. Now your pocket, and it's like the same thing with cars. It's it's the same thing with a fuck ton of things, and like. Do you really just want to do everything like that from your house? I mean, going to Atlantic City is like, it's like a, a party vacation. I haven't been, but like, I'm sure it's a great time. It's like, would you really rather sit in your house and gamble over that? Yeah, no, I mean, the idea of those, those uh, advertisements is to really make you believe, um, is to make you, you know, they're trying to sell something. And that's a part of the economy now that we have. And, and I think it's, you know, that's what kind of keeps the world going is everyone's, every good invention like that, somebody's going to try to profit from. Mm-hmm. The, the, the internet in general. And the use of the internet is complicated because there's only so much time that we have. And there's so many tools that are out there with the internet that allow us to do anything. I mean, I could read any book I want just through the internet yeah and, and, and I don't know how you do it you can stare at a screen for that long and read text but I prefer just binding and paper to be honest I just do that because it's kind of free yeah and and when I'm laying in bed at night I I can just look at my iPad and I can be like let's say I want to lay on my right side and I'll get comfy I don't want to like you know how you have to like flip the page just so you can see it. Yeah. Like you kind you of. Do that. Yeah, you kind of fold the page. It's hard to sh- to describe. You can kind of hold the binding voice. at like the bottom, kind of. This is what I do. Yeah, like that. But then it's like my hand kind of gets you know tired after reading for so long. Yeah. You know, like you know how you, you lay like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's like you f- you have to flip the other other side because you want to read the other page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the lamp can only be on one side of the, you know your bed. <laughs> So I understand what how, you're saying. How weak do I sound? No, <laughs> no, but uh, I only I just do that because I want to be comfortable. Nietzsche would uh, would not be happy with you. Probably not. Weak sounding man. But he he's the he's the kind of guy where you have to you have to take ten minutes just to read one sentence and understand oh, God. it because everything he says is he's got some sort of meaning behind it. What books have you read from him? I haven't read any books, but I've understood. Well, I've tried to understand certain parts mm-hmm. like the uber manchen yes which which the the nazis uh took and completely misunderstood right you know yeah. it's just it, it's correct me if i'm wrong but it's the uber manchen uh philosophy is just about becoming a better person really you know challenging yourself that idea is spans like through stoicism and buddhism and all over philosophy but yeah, I, I, yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said there, um, but you know, I kind of lost my train of thought. It's okay. We can uh, want to talk about the Bible. Sure. All right. So I had some some archetypes, and uh, for human behavior. First, first of all, I want to say is when I when I'm talking to my friends and, and I say that the Bible is important, like I get this look and I, and I have this like the sensation that that people are just like, you're fucking dumb, like you're, why are you saying that? And and it's the reason why I say that is because before psychology and you know like. The studying of human behavior and these kinds of things. All we had was the Bible and like the Buddha's teachings because both of those are precursors to psychology. Well, just religion in in, in general. I mean, if you look at Eastern thought, that's the same thing. They they do talk talk about psychology as well. Yeah, man. Any, any kind of religion in general, written down like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People people say that religion we'd be better. Like Richard Dawkins would say. Uh, we'd be better off without religion. That's such a, see. That's something that you would say on Twitter, you know, with the limited character text that you have. Where, but it's like trying to hear out his point of view. I'm sure I would come to some common ground between what he's trying to say because little bits. There is a gray area there. You can't say the world would be 
completely better without it because you don't know how good it would be without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, being here and trying to defend religion, it's like, well, how do you know that, you know, the world would be worse without it? You know, so I, I definitely think, like, I try to, I, I know what you mean, man. I, I've seen with people, like, I try to also communicate similar ideas that, like, although, you know, I may not be the most religious person, you know, I try to, I try to become familiarized with some level of religious text mm-hmm. and ide- ideologies. Just become familiarized with it. It's important shit, man. Not to devote myself to it. Yeah, no, I, I don't... Devote or devote myself to it. I know? wouldn't want to do that either. I mean, like... To blind, blind, blindly agree with some certain principle that you don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. When I, back when I was first, you know, exploring religions, again, um, I, I was thinking, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to be a Buddhist if I don't agree with every single thing in here. You know, and eventually I learned that, like, a true Buddhist or, you know, a true awakened person would, you know, agree with what they want to agree with. And I agree with the Bible. I agree with the message that it has. I don't believe that um, Jesus turned water into wine and he, you know, put fish in in all the nets for all the fishermen and, and those, you know, magical stories. What I do believe is the archetypes. There's there's a story in the Bible that I read recently I wanted to tell on this podcast. It's um it it relates to what Jordan Peterson says about saving your father from the belly of the whale. Yep. So, yep. The story is it, it talks about Jonah and Jonah was told to go to the city of Nineveh. I think that's how it's pronounced. It was a wicked city of sinners and Basically, God told him to go and go to that city and tell them that they're stupid and wrong. And immediately, you know, instead of challenging himself and challenging his conscience, he went, he ran away because he was scared. So he he hopped on a fair, and I'm pretty sure he went east. Um, And immediately, God drew a storm up, like giant waves crashing on the ship thunder and lightning and the passengers were saying who brought this upon us and and Jonah said it was I who brought brought this upon us so throw me overboard and God will you know soothe the storm out so so that's what they did eventually they threw him overboard after persuasion and debate and immediately God let the storm fall and, and what Jonah was trying to do was kill himself because he, he was afraid of challenging himself, you know. So immediately, God had this giant fish come out of the water and swallow him whole. So it's, you know, the archetype of the, the infinite darkness. Not the infinite darkness, but, but the deep underbelly that we all go to that is anxiety and depression, you know. So Jonah was thinking to himself, the same way that, that Geppetto was, was you know, thinking in the belly of Monstro in Pinocchio that like maybe um, I made the wrong choice maybe I can be better and and he said God I will go to the city the wicked city of sinners and tell them that they're stupid and wrong so he spit him out and he went to the city and I mean the story it's a long story but you know that's the bare bones of it and you can see this archetype in so many things. You can see it in Pinocchio, as, as has been mentioned. And um, you can see it in Star Wars as well. You can see it in Return of the Jedi entirely. Because you have Luke Skywalker. And, and I was even talking with DJ about this idea. And, and DJ said, DJ is a line cook where we work. And DJ said that... Um, all, all Luke did to save his father was cry like a little bitch when Palpatine was, you know, hitting him with the lightning. Okay. Have you seen this movie? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, okay. yeah. I remember. That's at the end. Yeah, the, the throne room fight, yeah. Yeah. But um, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, and then Darth Vader, 
you know, throws Palpatine into the whatever into the the, abyss. the, the reactor. Yeah, into the abyss. Actually, mm-hmm. pretty yeah. much. Um, and so, somehow he survives later on in the story, which oh, is why it's don't kinda, even talk which is about why that. the story's ruined. Oh my god, it's it's not ruined to me. I, just, I mean, like in the I don't care about any of that shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, dude, what's your? I never understood that story. Star Wars? No, no. The story of Jonah. As good as you just explained it. Um, and I've kind of understood that your anxieties trap you in a place where... You, Motionlessness. Yeah, there's no... You're just static. You don't... You're not improving. You've almost reached such a low that... Um, you you have to get out of you mm-hmm. have to get out of it and 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 this is ex- th- what you're talking about now is exactly what happened to Yoda and Obi-Wan you know the prequels aside like like pretend the prequels didn't exist okay. but you'd have to imagine that Obi-Wan and Yoda saw what Anakin became and um and, and you know were afraid of that because he was a mass murderer he he partake he partook in genocide um of the Jedi so, so like, whenever whenever Luke says to Obi Wan, "I can't kill my own father," then you know Obi Wan is you know just wallowing in defeat, like saying like the Emperor has already won, so there's nothing really we can do now. So they Yoda and Obi Wan, it's clear that they want him to kill Vader, his father, and Luke, even though he's never even known his father like ever you know it was revealed to him in such a traumatic moment after he cut off his hand his hand um even though he hasn't known his father luke surrendered to him on endor and in that scene um it's shown that luke accepts that he's his father and and luke is very mature and you know he's, he's something that a lot of people should pine to be and when he's talking to vader vader says um it's too late for me my son and he's basically saying it's too late for me to change it's too late for me to be better than myself and you know eventually they get to the throne room and the fight the fight you know the sword fight is between vader and luke but the real fight the real fucking fight is between vader and himself well that is very close and and in from that interpretation that's that's right as well but it's it's really between Luke and Palpatine, which is also between, like, you know, Luke and his father, you know, that family dynamic and his father's demons. So you are right. So, and the fight immediately begins as soon as they step onto the platform where the Emperor is sitting. You know, they're, they're having this, um, this these little insult ego war between each other, saying, like, like you know, um, your friends can't right. reach us here. Right, right, you know, right. the little evil banter. But um, but skip to the end of the fight, or not skip to the end of the fight. I'm sorry. Um, th- throughout the fight, Luke is conflicted. He's going. He's going through the motions of reason and intuition, and the intuition is this primal rage against his father that a lot of us have, um, because our father won't change. Um, when he kicks Vader down the stairs, he you know he says, "I will not fight you." I am tired of this fighting. We just need, I just want to help you. And, you know, Vader, you know, because he's toying with, with Luke the entire fight, he feels like he can crush him. But he hasn't realized that Luke has become a more mature, intuitive person. Right. You know, he's, he's no longer naive. He feels like you really can change his father and bring him to the light. So when, when they're under the platform, Vader, you know, Luke's hiding from him and Vader's taunting him. He's like, He's getting into his thoughts. Yeah. And, and Luke is thinking of his sister. Like, what's going to happen to his sister if he dies? And and Vader senses that. He says, well, if you won't turn to the dark side, then maybe she will. And that's when Luke fucking lets loose. And a lot of people are like, well, he looks like a fucking idiot swinging his lightsaber in that scene. It's like, no, that yeah. is perfect. Like, th- that's the like so amazing how Lucas captured... Luke's rage in that scene and you know eventually after that emotional scene he cuts off his hand and he realizes what he's become he's becoming like his father right you know 
his father cut his hand off and then he you know got revenge on his father and and that that cutting off of the hand it, it's as if to say wake up you foolish old man Th this the archetype for ultimate evil palpatine has been controlling you since you were a child you know putting it in the prequels because you know anakin's only father figure was palpatine after qui-gon died so you know this manipulated young man is it's, it's very tragic you know it's evil and tragic and um yeah no it's you're right about it and all that most you know and, and such a great story how i don't think a lot of people really understand that when they see the movie and they just think of the hero's journey aspect of it mm -hmm. but it goes so much deeper than that yeah and lucas uh or go ahead. The the reason I say you know, Vader was in a fight with himself, was because he was choosing over, you know, the devil and the angel or the demon and the angel, which right. is, you know, Luke, or, or, uh, um, his you know, or Palpatine, which yeah. which he had cho which he had faced once before, when he himself lost his own hand, to Obi Wan, when he was when he was faced. You know, at the end of this, uh, the, uh... A little, uh, interesting thing is, um, when George Lucas first conceived of Star Wars, the first thing he wrote down was the lava battle, and what happened at the end was, was, um, Anakin was, you know, hanging off the edge of the inside of a volcano, and Obi-Wan, you know, he, he didn't help him in the original, in the, the final script, but instead of, you know, walking away in kind of like you know agony he pried anakin's lightsaber out of his hand like so coldly and just walked away and let anakin fall or i don't remember what happened but he definitely didn't fall because how else would he survive you know but. i mean he kind of that's kind of what happened in the movie it's um, very the revenge of the sith i mean you know he he was he was left to burn in lava and yet, well, somehow he did survive, mm -hmm. but Obi Wan just walked away. Yeah, um, it's heartbroken. Yeah, and exactly, and it, like a father to a child, heartbroken. And when you were saying earlier about his anxieties of Luke not being able to kill his father, and not being able to finish what Obi Wan should have probably started, or should well did start but should mm -hmm. have finished. Yeah, um, he had his own fears about. What would happen if somebody else, you know, let let Vader, you know, do what he just let him be and not not taking care of him? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you remember at the end of the fourth movie or the A New Hope, where Obi Wan tries to reason with Vader once more, and Vader ends up killing him. Yeah. Well, he um, he said, "If you strike me down, I will become more powerful than you could possibly imagine." And the power was helping Luke, you know, become and, and be, yeah, yeah, and realizing his potential and yeah, helping Luke in the I don't know the Force world of spirits or something. But but what we're getting at with this idea is it's been mentioned before, but I, I think I should make it clear is Jonah and Luke were were posed with the angel and the demon, and the demon is. Um, defying your destiny and if you don't like the word destiny we can say defying your conscience and you know going into anxiety yeah and your conscience is what your conscience is what you know is right yes and and it's it's reason and it's rationality luke did did something completely moral but he also did he also was able to control the evil within him it's exactly what jordan peterson talks about um you know he almost killed his father but in the end, he put himself in a vulnerable position, you know, after once again saying, I will not fight, you know, and then Palpatine nearly kills him. But then Vader sees what's really going on. There's someone that really cares about him for, and it's been like, I'm, you can get into legends and canon, but we're going to stay in the fucking movies. All right. Um, in a way, Luke rescues his father from the abyss. Yes. And brings him back to life. Mm-hmm. And well, it's kind of ironic because he ends up dying, but he dies in peace. No, that's okay because if you remember, after 
after he saves Vader, and Vader saves himself. First, I need to mention this: is if if Luke would have killed the Emperor, um, like by like you know himself, then Vader would not have been able to release his demons. Vader had to be the one to do it. Exactly. You know, because but, you, because Vader was controlled by the Emperor. Yes, Vader needed the motivation to do it, and he eventually did. And what you were saying earlier, you know, cut to um, when he took his mask off, when Luke took his mask off, um, he says, Vader asks him to do it, and he says, but you'll die, and Vader says nothing can stop that now. It, it's like when when you face your demons, it, it's not really true in all people, but but sometimes people unlock the ability to face death and accept it, and that's exactly what Vader did, because he died a peaceful death, as you said. Exactly. You know, I, he just wanted to look at his son with his own eyes. In in a new light, in a in a as a new man. Yes. As the man that he once was. And and there's something that I that I always that I always stand by Star Wars. People can be like, oh, it's fucking nerdy. It's the nerdiest thing ever, and it really kind of is if you look at it on the surface. But George Lucas studied psychology, mythology biblical archetypes and and he did it so well that it's enough to make you cry man like that that end of that movie is so moving and then you see you see Anakin and Yoda and Obi-Wan and at the end sitting on I think that was the revised version because that came out after the prequels remember because Anakin Christian Haydenson or whatever wouldn't have well they had a different guy uh, yes. Anakin. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. To, I forgot. It's, about it's okay, that. dude. I Don't forgot. I, I. You're right about it. I completely forgot. I, I forget what he looks like. He's like. He's kind of just like a middle aged. He's, he's kind of like a bald guy. Yeah. There. He's like a, little a middle aged dad. Yeah. But in in the end, in that scene, um, you know, Yoda and Obi Wan and even Anakin are, are looking at him and saying like, "Well, I guess he really didn't need to kill him." You know, right. he, he did something that we were afraid to do. And that's a perfect example of showing it and not saying it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because he... you If they had said that in the movie, it would have been... Um, it would have been of less value to the audience, I think, understanding the story, because a story shouldn't have to explain itself. Yeah. And, and, and like, people, you know, people... Ever since the Bible was conceived, people have been trying to figure out the deeper meanings in it. So, like, even in East of Eden by John Steinbeck, you know, like, there there are certain scenes where they're trying to, you know, um, depict the Bible in their own eyes. And Thou mayest. Yes, thou mayest. Uh, thou, thou mayest is, um, it means you may triumph over sin. And this is exactly what... Jonah did, you know. Um, you have the opportunity. Yes, you always have the opportunity. I forget which version of the Bible that's in. It might be in the King James version. Wasn't it in Hebrew? Yes, it was. It was, it was the Hebrew version of the Bible. Because the Hebrew word timshel means thou mayest. Yes, in and, timshel, yes. And, and the word thou mayest comes from the Cain and Abel story where Cain kills his brother because his brother Abel because he's jealous of his brother because God liked his sacrifice more than exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah. And doesn't it go as as God um, Cain asks for his forgiveness and what he can do about it and and God gives says Tim Shell. Yes. That's what says, he says. And says, "Well, and some people refer to it as, well, you could, you could do something about it or you can do something about it um or you will do something about it." But the act, the actual translation that they figured out at towards the end of the book, spoilers, I, the East I guess, Eden. yeah. Well, it's it's thou mayest, mm -hmm. thou may do, is allowed to do it, like thou may, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that that was pretty central theme to the book. Yeah, you you have to fight, even even if you're in an oppressive government, you have the free will, the free free will. The potential is is within all people to do what they want, and I don't know if if Cain eventually did that when he was sent to the land of Nod. That's where God sent him after he killed his brother, but um, but you always have 
the the option to do better and and that is the fundamental idea in every story it's it's seen in so many great stories man i mean it was seen in 1984 when winston was was sat down in room 101 to be tortured and winston chose you know chose to to as you know he um spoiler alert right he gave up and and said that don't torture me torture the one that i love most which yeah. was his his kind of lover and what happened in in, in that scene is is while they were torturing him the, the final torture method they used was his um, biggest fear rats his yeah. biggest anxiety rats which he would have which he he was never able to overcome and was it rats yeah it was rats okay. yeah they, they had a cage of rats that they would have put on his head and, and he would have died from it. And weren't they gonna dig? Weren't they gonna light a fire on the other end of the cage, and then the rats would dig yeah, through his stomach? Something like that. Yeah. No, it wasn't through his stomach. It was on his head. Oh, it was through his but, head. But yeah, okay. they would somehow or another just get the rats to um, eat eat him, and uh, they're carnivorous, you mm-hmm. know. And that was his biggest fear. And he said, "No, you know, no." The love of my life, Julia, torture her. Yeah, let let her be tortured. And that last ounce of hope was was all gone for him to um, become somebody who stood against the uh, tyranny of the totalitarian government but you know and that's so it's not really a hero's journey kind of story it's not at all which is you know it's in my eyes it's just a story about an average guy mm. who were you know lived in this totalitarian government and who wanted to make a stand against it but ultimately couldn't he ultimately couldn't because of because of those because of his lack of uh, because of his fears and his anxieties oh, yeah. and, and being controlled by them those fears and anxieties were perpetrated by the government but you know he eventually succumbed to them because of because he chose to mm-hmm. he chose to give up and and live in peace and live in the government that they had set up but i really want to mention how this can apply how all of what we've talked about can apply you know if anybody's having at least a little bit of trouble trying to understand but how it could apply to everyday life and the individual and how facing your any anxiety no matter how big or small it is um can be um can be making uh, how how should you say a this? pretty bad impact on your your mental state. Yes, your mental state and being controlled by those fears and you know I've always you know and, and you know I'm I'm a teenager you know I mean, we're both pretty young guys and yeah still we, figuring shit out. We're still yeah we're still figuring a lot of shit out but I've had you know when I was younger a lot of anxiety and I've always you know tried to overcome it and tried to you know feel comfortable and. and lot of different situations and you know i've been better at that especially the past you know a uh, few years but yeah man when i when i was younger shit man i really was controlled by my anxiety it was pretty bad for me too dude like if i compare myself to two years ago i was pretty fucking anxious man still am but but uh it was really bad then yeah and it, it controls you in such a way that you freeze up mm-hmm. you freeze up at a situation and you can't you have no room to grow, mm-hmm. and thus, you you atrophy. It's like what uh, what Yoda said, man. He said um, something along the lines of, uh, "If you don't face your fears forever, will they dominate your destiny? They they'll dominate your yeah, conscience, right? You know, right? And you're letting those anxieties dominate you, and and your anxieties are irrational. It's your monkey brain talking to you." You know, but your conscious brain knows what it's doing. I mean, any anxiety, whether it's, you know, a fear to fail a test that in the long run doesn't actually have such a huge impact on on the way your life is going. But yeah, you're you're afraid to face the immediate impact. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people face social anxiety um, and, you know, the fear of, you know, social, you know, because 
we are social animals, and our monkey brain tells us that you know being social is is very good for our survival. I, I do believe it is. And yeah, we need build. to be. But you you have to start by saying you know by controlling yourself and telling yourself to to handle so handle yourself well, you know, and 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 not uh, freeze up and and know what to do in in a lot of different social situations. Mm-hmm. The social situations that matter. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know that's definitely helped me a lot. A lot. And so and I, I do, you know, I, I am. But I've never understood it so deeply as as to what you just explained. After what this, um, well, the best way to like what Jordan Peterson said is what we're talking about is archetypes in the unconscious, unconscious, and this is something that Carl Jung studied. He was a pupil of Sigmund Freud, and Jordan Peterson said the best way to understand types of people like this and their studies is through narratives, like The Lion King. Star Wars, Pinocchio, any any great Disney movie, you know, like, like I haven't seen Frozen, but I, I'm almost positive that that it goes against like these these human archetypes and these examples of human behavior. So I just say I'm I'm with Jordan on this. Um, that movie is appalling, and it is uh, fucking stupid. It's 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 um, I've seen it when I was uh, when I was nine, so I don't. To my discredit, I, I don't, you know, understand it um, that well. I don't remember it that well. But from what I think it could be about, it's just kind of a a reality, a uh, sort of false narrative about challenge and and perseverance. What do you mean a false narrative? I mean because it. I don't want to say false, but um, different narrative hmm. to the, to a way of, of taking on a challenge, of um, persevering through one. But like I said, I, dude, I can't. I I don't remember. I don't remember that. But um, that that would be, be something that I guess if I was interested, I could look into again and, and watch that. But you know, shit. I, well, you should watch is the Lion King because yeah, uh, that yeah. is incredible, man. I watched it recently on. Uh, Thank God for Disney Plus, dude. All yeah, the good stuff God. in one spot. Yeah, for like, the most part. But not, not every Disney movie is on there. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Well, when I watched The Lion King, uh, again, after, you know, like 15 years. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I liked it a lot. It's one of my favorites now. Um, you know, Simba is just this little naive young boy. And... Um, and eventually, you know, just just to skip through the movie, he um, he goes, he meets uh, Timon and Pumbaa, these these two heretics, or not heretics. Um, what was uh, the philosophy of Epicurus? Hedonism. They were hedonists, only you know, um, taking part in pleasure. They were living in an Eden, just eating bugs, yeah, and whatever they could find, and it was it was fucking paradise for them. Trying to get as euphoric as they can. Yeah, and and that's Eden, that that that's Eden for, like like Adam and Eve that story. Like living in the Garden of Eden and, yeah. and living off the fruit and being freeloader and shit like that. Yeah, and Jordan Peterson says this as well, where um, there is a time for that in your life, not not their age though. There, there's a time where you can be Peter Pan and have all these like imaginations and and be childish and but what I'm what I'm saying is you need to give yourself a challenge and that's exactly what Nala does his childhood friend in the Lion King when, when Nala is, is telling him that he's a fool and he is a fool because because he's avoiding his problems J- just just like um, you know just like those two um, what, what, what Simba and or no Timon and yeah Pumbaa. exactly yeah yeah just like them yeah you know Kuna Matata no worries and, and that that quote has you know it has merit but you need to have some worry you need to you need to have people depending on you need to help people um, and and what Nala does is is basically call him an idiot without calling him an idiot you know the 
the kingdom has been taken over by a psychopathic tyrant, his his older brother, or not his older brother, his uh, uncle, his uncle Scar, and and uh, if you remember from the movie, the shaman has a vision, the baboon. Yeah. And and if you don't know what a shaman is, um, I advise you look that up. It's just like a spiritual uh, kind of leader. Yeah, look, it's it's like a precursor to cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which is talk therapy. And the shaman comes around and and basically puts Simba through a psychedelic trip in in, in some kind of way where he he's seeing um, his faults and he's he's seeing that he needs to overcome the tyranny of himself, which is that sounds stupid. Uh, he needs to overcome the tyranny of Scar and free his people. Yeah. Free his friends. And he eventually does that. And that also shows that... Well, you know, Jordy, Jordan Peterson said that... I mean, this is a little off topic, but it does relate to The Lion King, about how, you know, Simba has to um, rise up to the... Uh, the place of his father right mm -hmm. and when his father dies there is a time where he has to grow up you know in his father's stead and he does think about his father and, and compare himself to the great man he was but his ultimate challenge is taking down scar or is facing scar mm -hmm. but at the end of the movie obviously simba replaces his father yes and he himself becomes a man where um, and he is a child, which is uh, in The Lion King 2, which I've never seen. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, that, that's something that Jordan Peterson relates to, being, being the taking care of yourself mm -hmm. and being ready for when your father dies. Yes, and the best way to take care of yourself, as has been the fundamental principle we're talking about, or one of them, is... Being able to be moral as well as being evil, but being able to control that evil because you can't win a battle, you can't win a war by being completely moral because, because then that'll just be exploited. Any kind of battle, any kind of challenge. Yes, and, and Simba's father, Mufasa, was exactly that. He, you know, you see him as this, this well postured lion this well-postured man who is very friendly with everyone but he's very direct and he's very stern as well and he has the ability to yeah especially when simba uh runs away yeah um and uh, in the beginning of the film but he he is like that even though uh he can destroy or or defeat anybody there in any kind of uh fight mm -hmm. you know and where that means something in in their world it's um you know that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that's important and he's able to do that but um, he wasn't able to defeat scar and i don't right. know if you know this but um the way that that like these really moralistic and, and good governments fall is, is by the king mufasa um, forgetting by either repressing or suppressing the idea that the brother, Scar, which is the archetype for the tyranny of the state, will overthrow him eventually. And this is what happens when apprentices overthrow their masters in Star Wars. It happens all over narratives and, and stories. And, and it's, it's, it's the idea of betrayal. Yeah. And, 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 and power. The fall, the fall of the kingdom happens because the king forgets how to deal with the evil within it. And that also con uh, connects with being a leader. And being no matter at what level you are at being a leader, earning leadership and maintaining it. It's in constant maintenance. You always have to be a leader or else... You know, the uh, the people who follow you will have other motives, 
in other directions that they want to travel in. Yes. You know, um, and that's why it's so admirable to be a good leader. And mm-hmm. it's so uh, intoxicating to, or not, I'm sorry, that's a wrong word. Uh, it's so, seems so beneficial following someone who you believe in, who knows what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Who, mm-hmm. who is a good leader. Yeah. Um, it's intoxic. I guess it would be intoxicating if you got power as a leader, and it could be in and it could be, uh, yeah, it could be uh, devastating towards your leadership performance, right? But, yeah. Um, uh, That's why I, I admire the the leadership at work. I admire Chef Chris, Chef Steve, and Chef Dan as well. Um, I don't know if there's any the archetype of the the evil state at Cherry Creek, but but um. They're they're definitely able to control that evil within themselves, which is what Scar is—the evil within Mufasa. You know, they're they're professional. They um, they really know how to get. They don't really have time for bullshit. You know what yeah, I'm saying? even Cody, dude. Cody doesn't. Cody is is fucking like pragmatic, and he he knows what he's doing, man. Yeah, I I will give him that as well. He's he's. Uh... His job, he's very competently, mm-hmm. and he he's uh, he's very uh, follows the rules very well and mm-hmm. gets his stuff done. He knows what he's doing so well that he 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 has the skill of like you know directing people and telling them what to do. Right, and and, and, it, and again, it's hard to learn leadership in that you know just. Being able, just being competent and knowing what you're doing, mm-hmm. is doesn't often mean you will be a good leader. And some leaders throughout history often don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But they they do have, you know, some sort of goal that they're working towards on a grand scale. Yeah. But you know, either way, like like we just wanted to mention that on on such small scales, leadership can be um, valued. Um, but. Uh, um, yeah, so we got what four minutes here? Yeah, we do. A little less than four minutes. So, God, this time flew by really fast, man. It did, yeah. I I, fe- I feel like we we touched very well on, on that central topic of um, going into the be- belly of the whale and mm-hmm. emerging. Yes, and just just to close on that idea, um, what Jordan Peterson says is to quote: "You get to pick your stand, your damn sacrifice." You don't get to not have one. You have to challenge yourself to do things. This is exactly what Jonah did and Luke did. Even Vader, dude. So you get to pick it. You don't get to just live in Eden. Right. You have the freedom to choose. Thou mayest. Exactly. Um, no, that's... It's a great theme, man. Mm-hmm. Um... I think next episode, uh, we don't know for sure if we're going to have another guest on, but we're definitely going to try. Yeah, we're sorry we didn't have uh, Chef Dan on with us today. He he couldn't make it. Yeah. Short notice. And that's okay. Yeah, Because he's, you know, we're always going to have another opportunity to uh, to to do that. And I mean, I'm not, I don't want to use it as an excuse to be like, all right, well, we'll get to it when we get to it. But, yeah. <laughs> You know, obviously, I'm not. We're not in control of other people's schedules. That, that's definitely okay. When when things happen, opportunities arise. Exactly. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. I, I want to interview. We want to get so many people on. Yes. But we have to start somewhere, and and just doing this in general is, even this podcast alone, I, I'm, I'm, I, look back on it. And reflect on it. No matter if I feel good or bad about it, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. I'll look back on it and I'll be able to because we recorded it. Have you listened to to your thoughts recorded on the first one? Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did a little bit. I didn't watch. I didn't listen to the whole thing to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, only because, I just, I don't think I'm ready to re-listen to it. Hmm. Um, give give it a little time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah. So. Any closing thoughts? Um, well, the last thing I want to say is we have we have three guests lined up. We don't know when they're going to be on. We have Chef Dan, obviously. 
We also yep. have Jake Weber lined up. He's a really interesting cat, historian type. Um, we also have a friend of mine that I've known since kindergarten. His name is Dan. and uh, Dan like Chef Dan? Yeah. But they're okay. not the same person, though. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he recently had um, a revelation. He was, uh, he was down in the dumps for a while, but, but now he's out and about, and he's, he's doing shit, man. He's, uh, I'm proud of him. That's great. Yeah. I, I'd, be, I'd be actually interested to talk to him as well. Hell yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll see you guys maybe what? Later this week? Next week? Yeah, we could do one this week maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure out a time. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, tune in next time, y'all.